Welcome to Siblinghood of Recovery. Hi, it's Angie Reno, and now we're on to being powerless. Yes, this is this is quite the concept, especially if you are in any kind of capacity a driven person or a successful person or a person who's task-oriented or a person who's linear. So uh, yeah, so powerlessness, it is at a neuroscientific level. I was uh, looking back and I did do a summary on dopamine for, for a very specific reason. When your qualifier is seeking that dopamine hit, there's no way we can control that motivation. It's internal. It's going on in their mind, their brain, their body, their physiology. And there's a reason why we have to really understand all that occurs within our complete body and our physiological makeup when we are consumed with that next dopamine hit. Since I have been exposed to the uh, substance use disorder environment and community, I do understand more and I do seek out a regular approach to life. I mean, the normal to me is so beautiful. Just a a regular day, a quiet afternoon, or a semi-quiet afternoon where there's not any kind of crazy drama. It's just like, hey, you know, this is a really nice day. The chaos that leads up to treatment is not filled with a lot of quiet afternoons. So (laughs) yeah, there you go. With that, I'm going to speak to being powerless in this situation, especially as a parent. So the situation is you have a qualifier that is engaging you to learn about substance use disorders, addiction, 12-step programs, and I always do stay on addiction because I'm, I'm focused on that and I don't have experience with the behavioral or the mental health aspect of 12-step. I probably do myself need a lot of mental health care. Actually, I know I do, <laughs> but this is going to focus on the SUD aspect. But we're in a situation that we never signed up for. And if if we are parents, if we are average parents, we probably do want to control some of what our children experience. And part of what we have to do much better is let go of the controlling aspect of how do we build up an environment that's safe for our kids. I'm not saying, you know, build an unsafe environment by any means. Perhaps what I'm saying is that I, well, I can recommend reading The Price of Privilege, the book, a book I've mentioned many times. And this does encapsulate the challenge of what's happening in our society, especially if you're middle class and above, of creating an environment that is so controlled that you're not giving your child an opportunity to build up their own resilience. The more that I learn, the more that I find out how beautiful it is to build up your child's resilience. Dr. Brad Reedy has several podcasts on on this aspect, and I was listening to one today where he said, to let your child fail, barring in mind that there is a structure of support when that failure does happen of 
you know, you're not, never hurting the child. You're never risking any kind of physical harm. But when the child does, let's just say, fall down and skin, to, skin a knee, you're there to say, yeah, you can do this again. This is a, this is part of learning how to walk. And that environment built up the capability for the child to see that, yeah, things are going to happen, but I can get back up and I can try it again. And I remember watching this athlete biography. It was a documentary and I can't, I think it was a female skier. It might've been Lindsay Vaughn, but the parents were incredibly encouraging of failure. And I know I didn't do that with my children. I do now. That ability to let go of controlling the environment served her well. Now, that's just one example, and you always have to take into consideration there is a genetic makeup inside of each child. There's an, Equally, there's a genetic makeup inside of each parent. But the more I dig into step one and letting go of perceived control, I realize how powerful that statement of we are powerless is. It, it blows my mind the deeper I get into it. I do always try to take in, for me personally, what's happened. Why did I get to the point of even think I could, I could control anything for what? That's, that's a whole nother, like, that's a whole nother discussion. And I have read so many books on parenting and so many really phenomenal are, uh, authors who are well studied well-educated are coming into the position, especially lately in the last couple of years, of truly letting our children build up resilience through failure, through hitting that roadblock, through hearing no, through hearing from their teachers or their environment or their friends, yeah, you're, you're kind of disruptive sometimes and not coming into the, to the rescue of their feelings. Let them feel it. Let them sit in their discomfort. And we as parents don't have control over the situation when they're with their friends, when they're with the school, when they're in another environment, when they're on the field, when they're playing athletics, of controlling every aspect of their behavior or the outcome. I guarantee you, there are many parents out there who think they do have control <laughs> over those situations. And I started looking into the neuroscience of controlling people. I, I can't find it. I'm determined to find that article. I'm determined to find that research. And I'm going to share it with you because I'm thinking what lights up in the brain of a control freak when they think that they're controlling somebody. Now, I personally know that I'm probably codependent. I'm not probably, I probably am. I think I am. I'll forego the self-analysis on here. And so I did some research on codependency. And one of my favorite, again, it's uh, Spencer Bradshaw, PhD. He he also participated in this study. I mentioned him in my original uh, episodes when I started talking about family readiness to change. Great study. I'll repost the link. Phenomenal study because it shows the impact of the family's willingness to change, willingness to learn, and how 
huge it is on the qualifier with the SUD challenge. So in this codependency research, and codependency is what? Codependency is, it's viewed as a learned condition. It's it's often developed in an environment where an SUD is present. And the study, I will cite it, it is codependency and prefrontal cortex functioning, preliminary examination of substance use disorder, impacted family members. And they say codependency can be explained as any combination of dependence, obsession, and preoccupation toward another person, often a person with a SUD or mental health disorder. I will tell you one of the greatest benefits that I have received from my 12-step program participation is calling another parent and having them talk me through the anxiety of not knowing how my kid is really doing. And that enmeshment and that, thankfully, that group of individuals who help other parents extract themselves from that enmeshment, that's where it's like, is that codependency or is that controlling behavior? Am I trying to control the outcome through being codependent? Absolutely. I think I am. So I kind of looked into, well, where is this validated? Everybody's talking about brain scans lately. And in this study as well, there's mention of a significant negative association being found between codependency and left dorsomedial PFC activation in response to images of a loved one with SUD. So the conclusion came to the left dorsomedial PFC is associated with executive functioning during responses to emotional and social situations, and the findings may suggest that family members experiencing codependency may be limited in effectively responding to their SUD loved one. And, and, the, and the findings highlight the importance of systemic treatment and family member recovery. Okay, I'm not going to read that again. If you want to hear it again, just rewind. But this blew my mind. Because so many times I've said to myself, how can I be so successful in a linear environment that requires a lot of thinking, a lot of decision making, a lot of interaction with a lot of different people, and I can remain calm, I can remain measured, and I can remain engaged, but this one interaction with my loved one can just get me completely off track. I can't even think straight. So one of the things that the 12-step program has helped me do from the moment that I started reading step one and embracing my powerlessness is I've had to take a step back and give my ability to process my reactions, my thinking, my executive functioning. I have to take a step back and try to react slowly, try to slow it down, not get activated. And for the first time in my life, reading all this stuff, reading the research, connecting the neuroscience, connecting the STEP programs, I do see that whether it's little trauma or big trauma, big T, little T, whatever experience that I've gone through today, it has impacted my brain wiring. 
So the huge goal when you get into, and again, licensed therapist, 100%. I mean, I've, I've said that, I think, in every single podcast, going to say it again, because it's, I hate to say no-brainer, <laughs> it's a no-brainer, but it's a must. You have to get a licensed therapist and get one that you're comfortable with when you work through the problem, especially if you've gotten to the point of treatment, because you have years, probably, of little T and big T little trauma, big trauma that have been experienced. But yes, I mean, this, this whole, (laughs) this is why I want to explore this step program at a neuroscience level, because it makes complete sense. If you admit that you're powerless over a situation that actually gives you a time to take a breath, to understand that your reactions, your want to control, your want to help, your want to fix this family member is probably riddled with blurred boundaries. Say that really fast. And you need to step back and and see which self you are reacting to, your own self or the self that you're enmeshed with, which is your qualifier. How you're reacting is not going to change how your qualifier is feeling inside. That is the biggest part of realization that I had to come to when I, I realized I could be as, in as much pain or em, emote as much love that I felt that I had for my qualifier or, or do have for my qualifier. But what, what they're feeling, I, I have no power over that. And the best thing that I can do is focus on myself. So At a neuroscience level, when you look at the executive functioning that has been challenged and now, uh, I guess because of the experience of chaos and and what the challenge with an SUD does bring, your executive functioning is no longer operating at optimal levels when you do engage with your qualifier, that at a neuroscience level should definitely be proof enough to say, you know what, you've got to take a step back. You have got to rewire and reassess how you are going to use your executive functioning capabilities. So admitting that you're powerless is actually going to help you and your brain and your heart and your physiology and and your emotional state kind of relax. And and, and that's that's the weirdest irony. I mean, I mean, I wish I wish we could have brain scans while we had an in-depth step one, <laughs> step one meeting. And because I know once I, once I really started admitting and, and, and this gets situational too, it's not just reading the book. It's not just going to the step meetings. It, you have to do it when you're in a situation going, yeah, I don't have, I don't have control of this outcome. I don't have control of the feelings that are being felt right now. That powerlessness, it's, it is in a way freedom. Now, that freedom might be uncomfortable, especially for a codependent, especially if you've been enmeshed with your your qualifier's substance use disorder. It, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's, it's a new feeling. It's a new process. It's a new methodology. But it is a step towards freedom, and it is a step towards not controlling things, and it is a step towards releasing a, a very misconceived sense of power. So uh, yeah, we don't have control over what somebody else is experiencing at a dopamine level. And 
that's a big impact when you start abusing substances is that your dopamine just gets chaotic. But we do have control over how we perceive our power, how we perceive what we have control over. And that, that perhaps is where a lot of things begin, not only for your relationship with your qualifier, but I believe with your relationship with yourself. So that's my personal take on power. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we're powerless. That's okay. So on to step two, unless I find some really nice little research nugget on step one over the next week. But anyway, Angie Reno, visit my website, siblinghoodofrecovery.com. See you on Instagram. I haven't posted anything lately. I admit the holidays, I, I took some time off from social media. Well, at least posting on social media. Well, at least posting on my Instagram. <laughs> it's all good. All right. Take good care of yourself. Keep reading, keep learning, and I'll talk to you next week.
the dopamine episode.